What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 154 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer your question first. I'm not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com, and you can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, do some follow-up, go over the news, and then ask the question, should vegans advocate to conservatives? Paul, you might say that that's an incredibly loaded show topic today. <laughs> Definitely. And and if if you listen to last week's episode, you'll know that this is actually the second part of last week's episode. We had such a great discussion about the whole Miyoko's Nestle debacle that we ended up turning that into the main discussion. So what you're going to hear is actually what we ended up recording in the second half of last week. So it's it's a nice compliment. I think if you haven't listened to last week's episode... I would say go listen to that. It's going to flow nicely, but both are really great conversations. And before we do any of that, Paul, though, we have a couple of announcements to make. Paul, where are we going to be next month? We're going to be at the Atlanta Veg Fest on November 10th. This is going to be my first time ever in Atlanta. This podcast, Andy, it's taken me places I've never been before. Taking you all over the world. I am so excited for you to check out Atlanta. Hopefully you get to spend more than 24 hours there, but I hope so either too. way, you'll get a good sampling of all the food at the Veg Fest, and you'll get to meet a lot of awesome beardos because we have a nice contingent of Atlanta beardos. Excellent, excellent. So I'm looking forward to that, definitely. And so our second announcement, I guess you could actually put this under our first ever help wanted section of the <laughs> podcast. And so if you remember when we launched our Patreon several months back, one of the main reasons why we wanted to do that was so that we could afford to pay to get our episodes transcribed, which would allow us to get more accessible to the deaf and hard of hearing. And we actually teamed up with an awesome beardo who was able to do that for us at a discounted rate. So we were able to sort of get the ball rolling on that sooner than we thought we would but unfortunately that beardo has just kind of disappeared on us and so we have been without transcriptions for a little bit we've been looking into other services they're so incredibly expensive we're still committed to making it happen uh, but we can make more episodes transcriptions happen if we can find someone else out there that is willing to help us out so if you're listening and you're like i like to transcribe things that's what i do in my profession or that's something that i think that i could do hit us up and we can try and work something out but we figured we would reach out to our wonderful beardo community before we go try paying some some automated service that's not going to do a really good job or some other service that's going to be really expensive so uh, if that sounds like you you can send us an email thebeardedvegans at gmail.com and we, we hope to hear from you and we hope that we can figure something out to get this transcription ball rolling again yeah we don't want to pay some average jeff we want to pay a, a, a wonderful beardo to do this yes yes absolutely so Hit us up, thebeardedvegans at gmail.com if that's you. Cool. So, Andy, let's move on to the food. Have you been eating anything good? I have. You know, I was just at the New Jersey Veg Fest, and, you know, I always love doing those events in New Jersey, but, 
you start to get a lot of those same vendors over and over again. But this time I got to do try something new. And there's this this vendor called Gigi's or Gigi's, and they were doing all vegan Italian food. You know, Andy, the, the one place that I've ever found an all-vegan Italian place was in London. I don't even remember what the place was called, but those are rare to come by, an, an all-vegan Italian place. Yeah, that that's what really piqued my interest was because I never see a place that's doing all-Italian food. And I know that maybe pasta and sauce is not like the most exciting thing. Like We can all do that pretty easily, but they were doing some interesting things like stuffed mushrooms. They had a lasagna. And uh, an amazing beardo, Patsy, brought me by some garlic Alfredo in sort of like oh, a linguine-style pasta. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I Paul, all yeah. about it. It was only missing some garlic bread, but it was it was great. It was so nice to get because you don't again you don't get that kind of stuff there. This is like the adult version of mac and cheese. You see mac and <laughs> cheese all over the place at VegFest, but you never get a nice garlic Alfredo. So, yeah, definitely Gigi's. I don't know what their deal is. I think they're just sort of trying this this whole VegFest thing out because I didn't really get much information from them or or about them. But I definitely <laughs> hope to see them at more events. That's awesome. No, I, Andy, I hope to see him at some events as well. So then I can have it too. Yes, yes, definitely. And so speaking of the Beardos, uh, in addition to Patsy, I got to meet Katie, Michelle, and another Michelle. Nice. <laughs> Michelle <laughs> Two squared. times the Michelle. <laughs> so with that, Andy, let's move into this follow-up. We got a, a couple a couple items of follow-up related to our Miyoko's discussion from last week. So again, I would say, if you haven't listened to that yet, check that out. It's going to flow nicely into our conversation. And I say that mostly because it literally is recorded from the second half of that conversation. So it will flow very nicely. But uh, one piece of follow-up is that we actually got a response from some of the people at Live Kindly. And... You know, we were very we were critical of the the what we called a clickbaity title that they chose to to describe the events of what happened, almost like implying that there was more of a relationship between Miyoko's and Nestle than maybe there actually is. That's that's for you to decide how much of a relationship you think that there is. What's too much? What's 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 not too egregious? But anyways. But they pointed out something, and, and I think it's it's fair to bring up. They pointed out that they were not the only news source that was that used the word, you know, partnership between Nestle and someone else. Like a, a lot of the other ones, they didn't specifically say Miyoko's, but they said a partnership with Nestle and like plant based the plant based sector or small startups or plant based foods. So. A lot of them did use the word partnership, so I think in all fairness to Live Kindly, I don't remember if we said this, but but they were not the only one that was using this language, and they did seem to be getting a lot of the slack. Like, the slack was targeted towards them, or the flack was targeted towards them. Slack? Flack? I don't know, Andy. But the, the animosity was targeted at them, and maybe that's unfair. Maybe it should have been distributed evenly amongst the... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other articles, but I don't know. I thought it was fair to bring that up. Yeah. Or or perhaps even the flack was not fair at all. You know, a few people pointed out that like partnership is not the wording that necessarily they like they didn't say we're bought out by or 
you know, Nestle invested in or, you know, nothing about it necessarily was an inherent financial relationship. So so I think it's, you know, some people did not read it the same way that we did and, and, and many other folks did as well. So I think that's also a fair thing to point out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for everyone that's that's been emailing in. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, definitely. Maybe, maybe it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> nice paul very nice <laughs> so we did we got an email from from leah listener leah longtime listener who actually emailed in before anyone knew that we were doing this episode with with their thoughts so i figured that this would be good because i think that listening back on the conversation i think a lot of people may have been upset that we weren't harder on this whole potential partnership that was going on. And I think that we also had some some lingering doubts about what is Nestle actually getting out of this? And I think that that was sort of like a big key factor as to how we were going to judge this whole situation. And obviously they were going to get some potential amount of good press, but I think we should read most of Leah's email here because um, it makes some really good points. I'm disappointed in the way that Miyoko is handling her public response to the Nestle Mentorship Accelerator Program. If you watch her video response carefully, at first she says she didn't know that she would be matched with Nestle, but then later on in the response she says that the other companies didn't offer useful resources for her, leading me to believe that she hoped to be matched with them. As an aside, I have worked in VC before and spent five years working in corporate social responsibility on the investor's side. This project looks like a way for Nestle to greenwash their image and add a talking point to their CSR report for their shareholders and market analysts. In theory, analysts like me, or what I did in my previous job, read these reports and then assign responsibility ratings to companies. These ratings are gaining in importance for investors and are even mandated for many investors such as foundations, endowments, colleges, religious institutions, and private investors that have socially responsible requirements. The socially responsible market currently represents just under $9 trillion in assets out of just under $50 trillion of total managed money. Nestle has historically had some of the lowest ratings around. The reason I'm explaining this is to show what I believe is Nestle's net gain in this project. These responsibility ratings represent significant assets that are currently off the table for a company like Nestle. Also, as seen by her response to me when I Facebook messaged her, my takeaway is that she doesn't believe that human rights, access to water, or labor issues are her problem, which I disagree with, obviously. While I am super impressed at that the CEO of a company would even read a Facebook message from a stranger, I'm disheartened that she did not address any of the human rights issues in her Facebook Live or in any other way. And so Leah did actually include the entirety of the message that was sent to Miyoko and then a screenshot of the response, uh, which was a very long and thoughtful and respectfully worded uh, message about the, the issues with Nestle and, and how Leah hoped that Miyoko would address that. And Miyoko's response was to just give it a thumbs down and then just said, thanks, I will be pushing the vegan agenda constantly and continuously, hmm. which is it's just pretty dismissive. And, you know, that's something that we didn't really address in our episode, Paul, is that I do think that Miyoko could have spent some time acknowledging why people would be upset that she was partnering with Nestle, regardless of if there was any financial stake. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We didn't, I didn't think about that. And I, and like I get that that would probably strain their relationship if she's sort of publicly talking about all the horrible things that they do and she's about to enter into this partnership. But 
I guess, I don't know, it does sort of come across as like that that issue is not important or that the, the vegan issue is much more important. And I think the, the, the response that we're seeing here certainly kind of plays to that, whether that's the case or not. And, you know, we were certainly sympathetic to the fact that it felt like there was these misleading headlines out there from a number of, of outlets that were sort of portraying a relationship that may or may not be the exact case. And and so we were sympathetic to the fact that Miyoko is probably feeling really frustrated about that. But I also think that Leah brings up some really good points and that and that Miyoko could have done um, any job or a much better job of actually addressing the issues that people might have with this partnership, regardless of whether Nestle makes money or regardless of whether Miyoko is bought out. And so I think that that is that was like a huge piece of our conversation that we we missed last week. So I'm glad that we're bringing it up now. Yeah. Thank you, Leah. It certainly is a nuanced issue, Andy. This is a tough one. This one, it's like I still I'm honestly I still am not sure exactly where I stand on this because I'm trying to weigh in like all the stuff that we talked about and then live kindly's response and Miyoko's response and, and like all this stuff, it's like all factors in, in how I feel about this issue and it's still, still processing in this old bean of mine. Yeah, no, I'm definitely right there with you. I think another thing that we didn't really bring up was, is, you know, it's something that we kind of tried to bring up in in like our discussions about the Impossible Burger and one of their ingredients being tested on animals and, and pe- you know, sort of weighing out the pros and cons of everything, I think is this question of... Like, you know, we try to say, like, is the good that's being done by Miyoko's expanding, does that outweigh other other like negatives out there? And I guess like the question that I never really asked was like, does does the world necessarily need Miyoko's? Is like is Miyoko's like a, a linchpin to, to animal liberation? Is it just kind of like a nice thing for those of us that happen to be able to afford it? And uh, I don't know. I feel like that's also kind of an important thing to weigh out that like. Even if it does help Miyoko's get into more outlets, like, is it really that important that it could outweigh the negatives of supporting such a heinously evil corporation? Well, I think that the answer would be no, but would be no for every vegan product. But the fact that there are these vegan products in general is important. And so it's like, we can't say, does the world need this product? Well, no, the world doesn't need that specific product. Does the world need that product? No, the world doesn't need that specific product. But if you say that to every single one, and then you have no more products left, you know, it's like the world does need vegan products. So I don't know. That's tough. I I don't think that's what you were saying necessarily, but it is, I I think the question is a hard one to ask. And it's, I think it's made even more difficult because, you know, at least with the impossible burger and the beyond burger and all any other food that we've said that about, that's like something related to testing on animals, at least then it's like, when you're weighing, oh, does the good this is going to do outweigh the bad? It's like you're staying in the space of talking about animals. And, and I feel like it's it's maybe – it's still not easy. It's still not black and white. But at least it's a little more like, okay, is the good that this is going to do for animals outweighing the bad that it's done for animals? But in this situation, it's like, is the good this is doing f- for veganism outweighing the bad that it's doing for other human rights issues? And, and I feel like it gets even more – unclear at that point if you're trying to like weigh out that question you know what i mean yeah i think that's something that we actually we we laid this out in a very early episode we kind of put on the table our philosophy and we said that like in general we don't ever feel like there's a situation that necessitates that we forsake one social justice cause for another 
and oftentimes that that's referring to sort of this relationship between do we need to use a pre- oppressive means to promote veganism if it sort of craps all over one social justice movement but it helps veganism and we our philosophy was like there there's never a necessity for that like there's always a better way to do it and then this is one of those things where it's like that's kind of the equation that Miyoko is asking people to make. Like, do they want to support her or not anymore? Like, because of being entangled with this, this, you know, comically unethical organization, corporation. Yeah. But it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's so much more difficult, I think, of a, of a conversation than if it was like, if Miyoko the company itself was using like doing something like uh, against human rights or something like that. Like then I feel like it's, it's more cut and dry. Whereas this is like, well, it's like a faint partnership with the company that's doing it. Like, what do they have to, to what, what do they, does that company stand to gain from this weighing all that stuff out? I feel like it's much more murky than say like, you know, PETA doing something really sexist, for ve- like for the in the name of veganism that's more i think like oh no like you don't need to do that to support this whereas this is almost like one of those things where you have to ask yourself like is as a, as a business in in 2018 in this shitty world that humans have created for ourselves like is it is it inevitable that you're going to have to, you know, do something like this where you're doing something that's adjacent to another company that's doing something really bad. I'm not saying that every business is doing terrible things, but I, I'm just saying in general, it's like, I think, is this, can you chalk this up to like, we live in this shitty world. So these are the consequences of that. And and we're trying to do our little part in making it a little bit better. I don't know. I don't know, Andy. I don't. No. <laughs> yeah. Maybe our listeners know. Maybe you have the answers out there. So send us a send us an email. Thebeardvegans yeah. at gmail.com. Paul, I, I guess before we before we move on to the news, I'll just say the overall I like I under I understand a lot of the motivations from a lot of the people on all sides of this thing. But I guess the, I'm still just kind of left with this overall feeling of it just still feels icky to me, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I feel you, Andy. All right. Well, let's move on into the news, Paul. I just chose one piece of news today that I feel like is kind of related to all of this stuff that we're talking about right now. All right, lay it and on this me. is this is coming to us from Veg News from October 10th. Dove commits to banning animal testing worldwide. Oh. Yeah. So let me read a little bit from this Veg News article. Skincare brand Dove announced this week its commitment to ban animal testing after pressure from animal rights group PETA to take a stance against animal cruelty. We have enacted a policy prohibiting all animal tests anywhere in the world, the company stated, and our products will now carry PETA's cruelty-free logo, something we are phasing in across all of our packaging progressively from next year, to assure and inform our customers that Dove does not and will not test on animals. Concurrently, Dove's parent company, Unilever, announced that it supports the global ban on animal testing. PETA has placed Unilever on its working for regulatory change list (laughs) and will monitor the corporation's progress in developing non-animal testing methods. I I feel like working for regulatory change is the equivalent of saying, like, I suck now, but I'm trying not to suck as much. (laughs) (laughs) They're getting there. They're getting there. And so an article from Glamour uh, sort of clarifies further. And says, for an idea of how significant this news is, Unilever owns 57 beauty and personal care brands alone. 
Those include Drugstore Mainstays Dove, Simple, Love, Beauty, and Planet, Suave, and Clear, just to name a few. And in no accident, the release notes that Unilever's news coincides with Dove officially gaining PETA accreditation as a cruelty-free brand. What does this mean for your body wash? Likely not much outside of PETA's cruelty-free logo showing up (laughs) on Dove's labels in January 2019. According to Dove director Amy Stepanian, the brand didn't previously test on animals and has been using alternative methods for 30 years. Did you know that, Paul? Huh. <laughs> right? I, they're just like a brand that I assumed was still animal testing. Yeah. And That's they so have funny. not for 30 years. <laughs> or so they so, say. Yes, yeah, so they say. So it's really the biggest the biggest piece of this news is that Unilever is now kind of adopting this stance. But uh, let me just finish up with this article. What the new initiative does enforce, however, is the prohibition of animal testing by governments on the brand's behalf. In layman's terms, a country can't go behind Unilever's back and test their products on animals before they hit shelves. You know, we've seen that where certain countries demand animal testing and certain like makeup brands. I forget. I'm not going to say any names because they're going to be inaccurate. But, you know, you'll some makeup brand X is quote unquote cruelty free in the US, but then in order to get into like the Chinese market or something, it's demanded that they do animal testing and then they sort of they capitulate to that demand. So uh, I guess this is Unilever saying that they won't allow that to happen and I guess they won't be so their products won't be sold in countries that demand that. They like, won't would stand you say for that's it. the logical extension? I hope so. That's what it seems like. I, I hope that's what that means. Yeah. And so you know, th- this is, this is, I think this is good. It's, you know, it almost, I don't want to say it's too little too late, but like, you know, the, the European Union already banned cosmetic animal testing already. So, so it's kind of like, you know, huge chunks of the planet have already banned it, but it's still, I think it's a nice move. Yeah. Like you said, Andy, I'm, I was a hundred percent in the same boat as you. It's one of those things where I just assumed Dove tested on animals just because it's like, oh, this is a giant corporation. So of course they're going to be doing terrible things and testing on animals is one of those terrible things. That's cool that they haven't been Uh, like it. It makes me question why PETA was putting pressure on them. To, in the first place, if they weren't doing that again, it's like maybe they were doing some sort of shady business and PETA got them to stop doing that shady business. But if they weren't, then it's almost like, cool. So now it, was this was PETA's campaign just a publicity thing for PETA? So now every Dove thing will just say PETA on it, you know, <laughs> I'm wondering if their policy is that they'll only give the accreditation to brands that also don't have parent companies that test on animals. Like Unilever? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. But, I mean, it's, it seems pretty cool. I, is there any downsides to this, Andy? Um, you did not bring up this this article with the enthusiasm that I thought you would, which leads me to believe there is a downside to this. There is a dark side to this story. Well, I guess I'm just, I guess keeping in the theme of things that are like, okay, this seems good. This is like a nice thing for animals, but is, is Unilever some horrible evil corporation that has all these other dark sides. And by us as a movement celebrating this, are we sort of ignoring some other human rights injustices that they may be involved in and so paul in my trying to research this the first thing i googled was is dove evil (laughs) um 
which just brought up a lot of articles about birds. <laughs> a lot of magician articles. The uh, My favorite of which was... <laughs> The six most disturbingly evil birds. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh goodness! So that I googled if Unilever was evil, and yeah, of course, there's they're a large corporation. They're doing tons of really horrible, sketchy things, um, which we won't get into here. But suffice it to say, plenty of not not savory things and things that I think a lot of a lot of vegans would certainly disapprove of. So I don't know. I guess it just sort of this is one of those those things where it's like, okay, well I'm glad that they're doing this. Do we have to walk this careful line of being happy about this, but also not sort of all of a sudden giving them a pass like you know, something like, okay, Wendy's is now offering a black bean burger. They're testing it in a few locations. Uh, and that's great, but they're also not supporting the uh, the Immokalee workers trying to get an extra one cent per pound of tomatoes. And we're sort of ignoring that struggle if all of a sudden we celebrate Wendy's. And it just, it feels like it falls into one of those categories that, that you, like you want to celebrate one thing, but you don't want to sort of act like all the other horrible things a corporation is doing is now all of a sudden okay. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I don't know how to walk that line always. All right, Johnny Cash. <laughs> now, I, I completely understand what you're saying because it's like, I, I don't know if this is what would happen, but in my mind, it's like, well, if they make this change and no one says anything about it, then they're going to say, oh, well, we shouldn't have made that change because no one cares. So now we're going to go back to the way things were before. I, I don't know if that's realistically what would happen. I, I, I would assume that since they've made this change, since they've gone through making this change, there are probably enough people that are putting pressure on them for this specific uh, reason that they, they will maintain that change. But yeah, like you said, Andy, it's like, you don't want to give them a pass for all this other stuff. So I don't know if that means just like saying, I, I don't know, Andy, cause it's like, you know, when you're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with someone, it's easier to have this dialogue than when you're <laughs> trying to have a conversation with a entire corporation. I don't know how you say to a corporation, Hey, good job doing this thing, but you have also a lot of other things that you need to take care of as well. Like, because does that mean not supporting them? Does that mean supporting them like financially by buying their products? I don't know. Who knows, Andy? I don't know. We certainly don't know. We're just here to leave this information at your at your doorstep. <laughs> and you, you lovely listeners can do with it whatever you wish. Yeah, we're here to make you more upset by by putting these issues that you might not have thought about before, putting these issues on your mind. So now you worry about them and, and get bothered by these issues that don't necessarily have a right or wrong answer. So uh, you're welcome. <laughs> what can I say except <laughs> you're welcome? <laughs> All right, Paul. Before we get to this main discussion, we have we have some some wonderful people to thank. So right now we're gonna give a huge thank you to Diego C, Shannon A, Angela B, Gina A, and Diana C. Andy, I like that you read that as if you were like surprised. <laughs> well, I am surprised that we have a very uh, alphabetical order of last names. We got only last names starting with A, B, and C. <laughs> that's true but, and uh, and you put it in a nice pattern it went c-a-b-a-c -A -A very it's it's like a palindrome i should have put it in a-c-a-b order that would have been more pleasing <laughs> <laughs> so all of those names that you just heard those are people that are supporting the podcast at the rate of 
$1 or more per month via our Patreon. By doing that, they get access to our Patreon bonus feed. We're putting at least one new bonus episode in there every month. So we'll have another one for October going in there soon. And some people are getting early access to episodes. A lot of people are getting buttons and stickers. Some people are getting shirts. All sorts of really cool stuff goes on in there. And you can get direct feedback from us as well. And if you feel so inclined, if you feel like you could throw a couple bucks our way each month, you want to help make our podcast more sustainable and more accessible in the long run, you can just head over to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo, and there will be the option for that Patreon. There's also an option for PayPal if you want to do a one-time donation, like new friend of the show, Yasmin M., who sent us a a nice one-time donation and sent along a very sweet note with that and said, thanks for being my vegan community across the ocean. Love from New Zealand. So. Yeah, we, awesome. lo- we love when people send us messages when they're sending in those donations. And um, it definitely, that means a lot to us as well. So, yeah, yeah you, you can so choose much. recurring. You can choose one time. There's even a link to the merch store up there. So, thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo. And with that being said, we're going to move on into our main discussion. And just to give you a reminder, this we actually recorded this last week. So if if we're going to now play the audio from last week, and if we make references to like, oh, this tied into our news story, we're probably talking about the Miyoko story. So again, sorry if that's confusing to you all, but I think you'll you'll understand what's going on. So with that being said, let's get into this discussion. Uh, Paul, so so we're asking a question this week. Should vegans advocate to conservatives? And I, I I know we're taking a risk at making some assumptions with that headline, which is kind of making the assumption that vegans are not conservatives. We know that that is not the case. That there are that there are conservative vegans out there. Um, but I feel like it's probably safe to say, and the, the evidence that I'm looking, have been looking at sort of bears this out that the majority of vegans are, are further to the left of the spectrum than the right of that spectrum, the political spectrum. Would you say Mm -hmm. that's fair to say? That's like what I would not having looked at data. That is what I would assume to be true. Yeah. So with that caveat out of the way, we kind of want to talk about, and I think that this is a good extension of the Miyoko's discussion, the sort of the point that I was trying to to ring out of it, which was, is it okay for us to sort of exploit and use platforms that we don't necessarily agree with, or in some cases might be diametrically opposed to our political views, our ethical views, um, should we still be trying to reach out to people via those platforms? And so our conversation, let's let's start at this really interesting Fox News interview. And so so this happened. Welcome back to a special edition of Tucker Carlson tonight. If you're a regular viewer of this show, you know we've covered the horse meat question pretty thoroughly. Not exactly sure why. Nobody else is, I guess. We've had proponents and opponents of horse meat eating on this show. One of our viewers, though, was outraged by the whole thing, not just because he believes horse eating is wrong, but because he believes eating any meat is wrong. Gene Bauer is the author of Living the Farm Farm Sanctuary Life. He's a vegan activist. He thinks we need to quit eating meat entirely, and he joins us tonight. Mr. Bauer, thanks for coming on. So, yes, your ears did not deceive you. That was Gene Bauer, the founder or maybe co-founder of Farm Sanctuary, one of the the oldest and longest running animal advocacy organizations and and farm animals, the founders pretty much of the farm animal sanctuary movement, uh, being interviewed on 
Tucker Carlson's show on Fox News. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, Paul, I you know, I don't necessarily really want to spend a, a ton of time analyzing and picking apart specifically what was said, but I do think it is important to sort of go over some of it because I think some of our analysis of this will depend on whether we think that this was a net positive or a net negative for the the image of veganism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so let's just start with this, you know, so Tucker Carlson starts out by saying, why are you telling people what to eat? Like, I, I understand this idea about treating animals better. I think that's good. But why are you telling people what to eat? And Gene Bauer says, you know, I'm not I'm not telling people what to eat. I'm just trying to inform people so they can make an informed decision. Uh, and this is kind of a point he makes a few times. A lot of people just don't realize that not eating meat is an option, that eating vegan is an option. And mm-hmm. this is true. Like, we tend to think most people know, yes, you can survive as a vegan. But a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people don't believe that. Yeah, I, I'll say this. I think overall, and we're going to get into some specifics, I think overall Gene Bauer did a, a good job on this. It's like for only, it's like a six minute clip and they basically got through nine out of the 10 most common arguments that you'll hear against veganism. And I think overall, I'd say he did a pretty good job with his retorts. Yeah, I think there there was a few things that I feel like I was like, not how I would have responded, mm-hmm. but I also know those are like really high pressure situations. And yeah, he he pretty much you know, knocked out, like you said, a lot of those ar- those classic arguments. You know, he's like, oh, why are vegans so skinny? They can do these pushed over. And he's like, well, actually, there's uh, vegan weightlifters and Scott Jerk can run all over the place and he's vegan. <laughs> And and uh, vegans are so loud and fussy. I feel everyone know that they're vegan. And he's like, well, there's a lot of vegans that you just don't know are vegan because they're not the ones talking about it. You only know about the ones that mention it. So therefore, that's your stereotype. And and yeah, it, it, the classic. What if you were starving on a mountain and there was a goat? <laughs> yeah, I, I I liked his his response, which was. Well, if you ate the goat, then you just have no food. <laughs> I don't know if other people would buy that. Con- no, he said if you ate the goat, then you wouldn't have a companion to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> but it was nice. I mean, I liked the idea of it being a mountain and not an island. It feels like it'd yeah. be a lot easier to escape a mountain. You know, people get lost in the woods. But either way, uh, <laughs> you know, he talks. He asks about like why no eggs or cheese, and he explains that all these things. And throughout the course of this this interview, Tucker Carlson seems overall very sympathetic to the message that Gene has brought to the program. Uh, he says things like, I don't think it's a crazy idea. I love animals. I don't like the way factory farms treat animals. So I'm sympathetic to what you say. At one point, Gene Bauer sort of goes to that classic point. If we can live well without causing harm to others, why wouldn't we? And Tucker Carlson says, you know, I'm just going to say it. I agree with you completely. Like, yeah. he, he, you know, like he he clearly is not on board with with thinking that animals are not here for us to use. But he's clearly on board with the fact that he thinks animals should be treated better. Now, obviously, that's not a vegan message. But the fact that you have this very conservative host saying, I agree with you. Factory farms are horrible. I th- the one the one thing that like really stood out to me was that he said, I'm against animal cruelty. And I think a lot of conservatives would agree. 
we've been sort of trained to defend Tyson, but we shouldn't defend Tyson, which I thought was really interesting because yeah. that was sort of saying that, like, pointing out that it's sort of it's like a weird default platform. Like when you assume some when someone's conservative, you kind of assume they're probably against gun control. They're probably against uh, safe access to abortions. They're, you know, there, there's like certain things that you would expect, and somehow this idea that we should just be like horribly just abusing animals and anything we do to them is justified because we have dominion under them in the Bible. Somehow that got baked into that casserole. And the fact that he's questioning that and he's just like, I don't know why we've been trained to defend Tyson, but we shouldn't. You know, Andy, I actually took that a little bit differently. I took that as as him saying we've been trained as as conservatives to defend big businesses. And like and defend capitalism and and the growth of capitalism and and we should want these big businesses to succeed. That's what I. That's the first impression that I. That's the impression that I get. Yeah, I. I mean, I think that's certainly a part of it. But I think that there's sort of this implication that it also is like we should just defend because aren't animals here for us? And he brings that up in the interview later on. Tucker does when he says, you know, I've been taught that we have dominion over the animals. And it's interesting, Gene, Gene responded saying, well, we have power over these animals, and with great power comes great responsibility kind of thing, classic mm-hmm. line, and Tucker <laughs> agrees with him. Yeah. I guess, like, the one thing that was that I feel like could have been handled maybe slightly better was, you know, Tuck, Tucker tries to be like, well, let's talk about, shouldn't we start with the Chinese? They have these dog-eating festivals, and isn't that horrible? Mm-hmm. And I feel like Gene could have pushed back on that a little bit more. Um, but I, he does say, you know, in the U.S. we have a lot of work to do, but I agree we need to be working across the globe. I feel like he could have just hammered home this idea that, like, what what they're doing to these dogs is very similar to what we put cows, turkeys, pigs, chickens, et cetera, through in the U.S. And so while it is maybe reprehensible, what we're doing is just as reprehensible. You know, like, I think he could have used that as an opportunity to get the whole why love one but eat the other thing that idea cross. And I think that was a missed opportunity. That was a missed stake. (laughs) Yeah. For me, that was the one, the one, like the nitpick that I have that I had about his responses. And I I will say though, I thought that he did kind of, he did say that thing. And I was like, ah, wish he said that a little bit differently, but then I feel like he moved it on from there. Like he moved the conversation on so that they stopped talking about that. Imagine how, nerve-wracking it must be to be in that situation knowing that every word is going to be scrutinized by jerks like us <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no I, i'll say this i think that with with the nitpicks that we've brought up i think that that seemed to me to have gone as positively as it could have gone yeah i mean and so that's what i wanted to get across was despite our our nits the fact that you have this conservative host saying we shouldn't defend Tyson. Uh, I don't like the way we treat animals on these factory farms. I don't think this is a crazy idea. At the end, he's like, I thought you were going to be, I, I don't know, like unreasonable, but I find you to be totally reasonable. Like all of those things, even if they're not like, you know, it's not like the 100% vegan message I think that we that we want. But I feel like you have – Liv Kindly could run with a lot of those quotes and make headlines out of it that makes it seem like Tucker Carlson is the next great vegan messiah or something, <laughs> you know? So, so, so that brings us to our discussion. Now that we've sort of cleared the deck, we've explained what this segment was, 
some people are happy with this. Other people are not happy with this. And the, the, of course, the, the happy with it crowd is saying, look at this message that just got out to people that never hear this message. And the host was sympathetic. And I, I forget what interview this was, Paul, but there's one where, uh, I forget what news station, whatever it exists. You can Google some combination of these words, but but someone is brought on to argue why like meat is a feminist issue, and the host midway through the interview is like served a steak and is just like eating it in front of this this woman that's there to explain oh why meat like promotes rape culture or something like that. And like that's historically how these things have gone. Like the host is there to mock the person mm-hmm. and and Tucker Carlson did not mock Gene Bauer at all and maybe it's because he's a, a good looking white you know cis het man uh yeah, I'm sure that didn't hurt him whatsoever but but this went about as well as I could have expected this type of interview to go on this show yeah definitely and I think if we if we construct this conversation like we were doing the Miyoko's one like what you know for people that are that were against this, I didn't see any like I wasn't reading the comments or anything on this, so I didn't read the pros, the, the people that were for it or against it. But for the people that were against it, like w- what does Fox News or what does people who we think that their political ideology is harmful? What do they have to what would they have to gain from Gene Bauer being on there B- besides like the possibility that Gene Bauer being on there is then going to influence, like, obviously we don't know what his political ideas are. I think we can, we can guess and make as assumptions like we're kind of doing, but besides like him possibly inheriting some of those political ideologies, which I think would be highly unlikely since they didn't really talk about that stuff at all. Besides that, like what would they have to gain from this? What would people who we don't agree with about all these other issues, what would they gain from, from him being on there? Like I can't, I'm struggling to see the the cons of him being, being on that. Well, I think the cons could potentially not so much be what does Fox News gain from his appearance there. I'm still kind of curious why now, because his book's been out for a while. It almost feels like Tucker Carlson like wanted that message to get out and invited him on. And he didn't even mention the book, did he? Oh, yeah. Just just in the intro. This is Gene Bauer. He wrote this Living the Farm Sanctuary Life book. That's right. Um, I think that the negatives lie in... You know, we have a movement that is often not welcoming at its best to downright hostile to a lot of marginalized communities. And and having one of our most prominent vegan figures, you know, like Gene Bauer, as far as people that are famous just for being vegan and just for being advocates in this movement – it's like it's like Gene Bauer and Ingrid Newkirk and, you know, like they're kind of that upper echelon mm-hmm. and having some of our most popular vegan figures in this movement going on Fox News could be perceived as an endorsement of Fox News. It's legitimizing that platform. It's saying this is a platform that I think is worth having our message on. And what does that say to the vast majority of the world that Fox News takes giant dumps all over all the time? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. No, I I do get that. So here's what I have to say about that, Andy, is that they did not talk about anything non-vegan related in this specific interview. 
And I think something that we've said in the past, specifically when we were talking about a, a related conversation, like talking to Republicans or conservatives about veganism, is we've said like, one, obviously, it's better that that someone is vegan than not vegan. Like it, out of context, it's better that they're vegan or not than not vegan. But two, we've also said, oh, like it should be it like maybe we shouldn't go out of our way to to preach this to to that community, but people in that community like we wouldn't stop conservatives in the conservative community that are vegan preaching veganism to other conservatives like we obviously wouldn't say no you shouldn't do that so the the reason i bring this up and and i think this this doesn't negate what you were just saying andy i I think that those are still legitimate concerns when you said how you're saying like is this could this be seen as an endorsement of those ideas but because there's no there's no in this one specific thing, because we're just talking about this one Gene Bauer interview, there's no context to it in like a larger political spectrum, really. It's just it's just kind of like, oh, and now I'm having this guy on for five minutes and he's going to talk about veganism and I'm going to ask him uh, put push back against veganism and he's going to talk about this. Like, for all we know, Gene Bauer could be conservative and 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 wouldn't that then be him fitting in with what our former criteria was which is which is like conservative vegans should be the ones talking to conservative non-vegans and but because there's no context to know one way or another does the fact that there's this is not inside of any political context i mean maybe the fact that it's on fox news puts it inside a political context but but because there's no political context, doesn't it fit that criteria? Because it's no, it's not like, oh, this is a this is a liberal coming onto a conservative news news program. It's just kind of like, this is my program. Here's a vegan guy talking about veganism. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess if if Gene Bauer has views that are mostly in alignment with Fox News, that it would be an appropriate platform for him to be on. Yeah. And and so I guess because of that, it's like because we don't know one way or another, because the context was not given, it's it wasn't put in that context, does it matter? Paul, you're you're really throwing my whole argument out of whack here. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but see, Andy, I but but here's where it's here's where I'm having trouble with it is that I don't think even though I'm this is that's that's my thinking right now I that does to me that doesn't delegitimize what you were saying which is that is having a prominent person on this program somehow uh, condoning those ideas but it's like those two things I don't think they can't live together and I don't know how to sort them out those two ideas yeah I mean that's really tricky I mean I I, I guess yeah it really contextually matters where Gene Bauer falls in the political spectrum. Uh, I think that if we are operating under the assumption that he holds, you know, progressive values, is that the opposite of conservative? I guess so. Uh, <laughs> Left wing values that by going on that program and then by it being promoted by vegan outlets, I mean, like, um, like the clip that we got from it was reposted by plant-based news that I, I mean, I think that, you know, the vast majority of the world does not subscribe to 
the beliefs that are often pushed by Fox News and that there is a big risk if vegans celebrate, you know, like him going on the show, if he has conservative beliefs is one thing, but then it being celebrated by lots of vegans, whether or not they have those conservative beliefs, I think that maybe that's another thing. And that's sort of sending a message to, you know, to, to, to marginalized communities and basically saying, we don't care enough about your issues. We're going to lend legitimacy to this Fox news platform. Here's that just brought up another issue for me, Andy. And and this is like, I don't know. Like, I feel like I don't want this to be such, such a intricate and nuanced thing, but I'm finding that it is. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm overcomplicating it, but here's another thing, Andy, if he goes on this Fox news show and no vegan outlet picks this up. So it's just this thing that's being broadcasted on Fox news. That means that the majority the vast majority of people that are going to see it are going to be people that already are watching Fox News to watch Fox News probably because they subscribe to those things. And if that's the case, I really can't see I I, I can't really see the 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 downfalls of the the the, the bad side of that, that it's him going on this show and just that's only really being consumed by people who already have those ideas. So it's like, what's, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is maybe those people will become slightly more uh, receptive to veganism, you know, but, but it's, if, if they're the only ones that are watching it and it's not being promoted on live kindly or plant-based news or something like that, then I feel like then there's no, then that maybe gets rid of the risk of making the vegan movement as a whole seem like we're condoning those those ideas. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it seems like it also matters. In addition to like what political views does this person have before they go onto the show, it also matters how this is being promoted and who it's being promoted to. But it just doesn't seem like that should matter to me. Like, th- like I, I want to just be able to say yes, do this or don't do th- or no, <laughs> don't do this. And I don't want to have to say like, well, like you have to tell us what your ideas are beforehand and you have to have it, a plan about who, what media outlets are going to pick this up. Because if I'm Gene Bauer, there's no way that I could know, you know, like what outlets are going to pick this up afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's almost something that's out of his control and you almost can't fault him for it. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have found out about it if it wasn't covered by (laughs) plant-based news and posted around by a couple of vegans. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think you, you raise a really interesting point, really thought provoking. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, I guess that in a vacuum, him just showing up and being on the show and, and you know, the people that would be hurt to find that out, if they never find out, I don't know. It still feels kind of kind of sketchy to me, Paul. It's almost like a we can get away with this thing. It's okay. But if it if it only has positive implications, if it can only have positive implications, if it's only being shown to people who are already on the right side of the fence that probably are not vegan, the only implication it could have is that they become closer to veganism, then it's like what's what's bad about it? <sighs> <laughs> yeah i mean I, I guess i'm sort of at a loss but of course words. we don't live we don't live in a vacuum you yes know, we, yes we, that is the biggest point i guess is that that it seems unlikely that that could happen with but it just, knowing knowing how the vegan media machine picks up every single story without scrutiny apparently 
it seems like it'd be impossible to have that situation where it wouldn't get picked up. It just, it, it, what, it feels wrong to me, Andy, that that's how we should decide whether or not, you know, something is, is positive or or not positive or constructive to the movement or not constructive to the movement. Like, I feel like it shouldn't hinge on whether or not, like, I feel like it's weird that we're, we're condoning something as, as the right thing to do or not the right thing to do based on how the media covers it or how we think that the media is going to cover. Well, that's not, I mean, Paul, that's, this is not an independent critique that's exclusive to this particular conversation. We have talked about that many times, even in regards to, say, like the antler protests in Toronto. We critiqued how the signs that everyone was holding had kind of different messages and didn't really get across the main message that the organizer seemed like they were trying to get across. And we've critiqued things like certain actions where people run onto football fields uh, doing some some sort of direct action in many different places. Uh, they, they run onto the football field holding a sign that never really gets seen, and then it gets reported on in an inaccurate way, or there's not a spokesperson to reach out to the news outlet to tell them what did that sign mean. I think that that is a concern and, and a consideration that anyone should have for any activism that they do is, is this a message – that is clear and concise. And when media outlets talk about it, you know, obviously we know media outlets can twist anything, but is this something when media outlets talk about it, are they more likely than not to accurately get our message across? I think that that is a really important concern. I don't think that that it should just be like um, uh, something that's sort of a, a footnote in these discussions. I think that that's probably in many cases, like the point of the matter. See this, I agree with you. This feels different, though, because in this case, the question is literally, should this person go to this news outlet? You know, it's not like, will this news outlet pick it up or not? It's should this person go to this news outlet? And and it's less of a concern about because with a lot of these other things, we, we are concerned with how news outlets portray these things. And in this one, we're just concerned with whether or not they're portrayed at all. It, it it hinges it hinges not on like oh look how favorably the general public has has perceived this based on the the media it's instead it's like well if live kindly doesn't report on it then then people who are in the position to 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 be damaged by this won't ever see it versus the people that are in the position to gain something from this are the ones that are going to be able to see it i don't know it's so confusing andy my brain hurts <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i i'm I, yes i am at a loss for words to come with a, up with a definitive ruling on this one i know that that, that we rarely do but I am totally sympathetic to anyone that that feels betrayed by Gene Bauer going on Fox News. Yeah, no, no, I, like that's that's the thing is that usually, Andy, I have like uh, I have an 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 inclination to go one way or the other. But this time, I'm literally just like, oh yeah, I would agree with someone that that is wholeheartedly against it, and I would also agree with someone that is wholeheartedly for it because I can kind of I can see like what both of the arguments that would be made would be, I, I don't know. Am yeah. I a centrist now, Andy? <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like we're just sort of like cats laying some dead birds at the feet of our listeners and being like, you decide, <laughs> which is always what we want. You know, we, we want to stimulate thought and discussion 
you know, we're, we're not here to tell people what to do or what to think, although we have our perspectives on, on certain issues for sure. But this, this one in particular makes me feel like I'm not entirely, I'm not entirely sure how to feel, but I feel sympathetic to people that would have either reaction to finding out that this interview existed. Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul, something that we didn't discuss, and I think that maybe this ha- would also have some bearing on the conversation, is how did this interview come about in the first place? Mm-hmm. Like like I said, this this is not something to promote a new book, as far as I can tell. This is a new interview. Did did someone at Fox News, at Tucker Carlson's show, reach out to Gene Bauer and was like, we have five minutes to fill, and we want you to come on? And he was like, Sure, why not? Is this something that that Farm Sanctuary or Gene Bauer specifically sought out? Like, was he like, I need to bring this message to this particular show on this particular network? I think that also matters. And that kind of gets at the question that the the main discussion, which I was which I want to really dive into is, you know, should we be actively advocating to conservatives? You know, like like one example is or like like that first situation is is Gene Bauer being like, you want to invite me on? Sure. Why not? It'll take, you know, an hour out of my life and I'll just I'll do this thing and it could be good versus someone that maybe is like, I think strategically it's really smart for me to be seeking out these audiences on these platforms. And that's going to be a part of my strategy moving forward. You know, we know that this is not the type of audience that Gene Bauer exclusively seeks out. He's normally at your average vegan events or doing you know, media outlets that are sympathetic to the cause for the most part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that that matters. And so what is, what's your overall impression? Do you think that as a strategy, and again, this is, we know that not all, not all vegans are progressive leaning or left leaning, however you want to categorize it, that there are plenty of conservative vegans, but as a whole, the majority is further to the left end of the spectrum than the right end of the spectrum. So do you think that it's like a good strategy? Like, are we, are we making up a deficit? Are we like, well, we we're doing pretty good on the left side of the thing. Should we move to the right side and, and try and equal it out and bring more people in that way? You know, I, I think what I would, Andy, the thing that I would typically say would be like, I think that Republican vegans, conservative vegans can get other conservatives to be vegan and progressive vegans can get other progressives to be vegan. And I think that's what I would traditionally say, my my traditional conservative values. That's what I would traditionally say. And I would say that, you know, for a few reasons, but one of the big ones being, I think that we're going to be much more effective at at at, at preaching to our own people that already have a similar ideology as us, like trying to, I imagine for trying to get as, as someone that's left leaning, trying to talk to someone that's right leaning about veganism, that's not vegan. I imagine I would run into, I'm, I may run into obstacles that I wouldn't necessarily run into uh, when I was talking to someone who has similar ideologies as I am. And for that reason alone, it might just be a better use of my time not to, not to, to do that. And you know, it's like, there are, there are plenty of 
liberal non-vegans that I can talk to. It's not like we're we're like, oh, we're done. We're done over here on this side. We got to go to the other side. So I think traditionally I would say, no, we shouldn't do that. But this this Andy, this Gene Bauer interview, it's making me it's making me question a lot of things. And, and that might be one of them, because from watching this, it just it seemed like it went so well. And and when I was watching this again, I do think context matters, but I think from just from watching that clip, if you slapped a CNN logo on the bottom instead of a Fox News logo, no one would know that that was unless like if you didn't know who the host was, no one would know that that was a not of a, a, a like a, a right leaning program. I don't think really anything that was said was super indicating of of the fact that it was that it was right leaning. And I don't know. What are you, what are you going to say, Andy? What are you going to say? I was just going to point out that, um, in fact, there was not a CNN logo; that it was a Fox News logo, and I think that that does matter. No, no, oh, it's oh, like no. the whole it's the whole apparatus around Fox News. There's there's the baggage of that. So yes, you could remove that interview and put it on CNN or MSNBC or something, but Fox News carries a lot of baggage with it. So so it, you can't. You can't separate the art from the artist, man. No, like, it, you know, like it, it's 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 a part of the package there. So, like, yes, even though that particular message in that one particular segment didn't really espouse particularly conservative views, although Tucker Carlson does talk about how you know fellow conservatives should feel this way, whatever. We don't know what happened five minutes before and after that interview. We don't know what else was being promoted on that show. And it could be some really reprehensible things if if Carlson's record is any indication. No, no, no. I, t- I totally agree with that. I'm saying like, like you could if you could fool someone with what was said, like you could fool someone into thinking that that was like a left leaning left leaning political show instead i'm like i guess my point is that a a vegan going on a news outlet could go i think it could go good or or bad it could go well or poorly no matter what kind of political spectrum where it lies on the political spectrum like i'm sure we can find examples from from left-leaning talk shows talking bad about veganism you know and and I guess I don't know exactly what my point is, but I guess <laughs> it, 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 no, you're right that like the context of it does matter because it does come with that baggage. But I think it definitely makes it seem like it's possible for there to be this discussion, you know, cause we're talking about, should we advocate to, to conservatives? And this makes it seem like it is possible you know, which I think is one hurdle that that you would need to overcome that I thought would be much more difficult. Yeah. Although, again, like th- this show, like this this segment, again, we're kind of discussing it in a vacuum. But if you were like, th- obviously, there's different types of advocacy and there's there's this there's a TV interview. But then there's also the broader question when we're asking, should vegans advocate to sort of cater to conservatives? There's sort of that broader issue of like, well, what about when you're on the street and you're talking to someone 
and and then maybe they could start to drill you about your beliefs. Like I, I had that happen to me when I was doing outreach on, on college campuses and having a conversation with someone and they would bring up being, you know, religious or something. And I would just try to remain as agnostic in my conversation points as possible. So I would never really let on that I was an atheist. Um, but sometimes people would, and I, and, in, in those situations, often I had very fruitful discussions as long as I didn't say, well, you're a fool because you believe in God. You know, like that's not, you know, that's not who I am. <laughs> that's not what I would say anyway, <laughs> you know, but like there are obviously this uh, the really the smug atheist that would just be like, oh, you believe in that? Okay. Or they'd say something like, well, if your God believes that animals are here for us to eat and then they gave them pain receptors, your God's a jerk. Like, like I didn't do any of that. I would just sort of pivot and say, like, yeah, uh, you know, a lot of Christians do say that these are the reasons why you should go vegan. Um, but I was able to sort of leave my views out of it. So Gene Bauer is able to just leave his views out of it. But then I also would get people that would straight up go, well, do you believe in abortion or not? You know, and you have to get into the conversation when they point blank ask you that question. So so he he is in a position on this interview to not be questioned on those particular beliefs. Whereas if you're having a conversation with someone or it's a friend who already knows how you feel about those beliefs, then then I think it's a lot trickier. Well, Andy, this just made me think of something else. I know that I I know that there's a difference, but but you or anyone being on a tour like that where you're going to interact with thousands and thousands of people, you know that you're going to interact with people on the other side of the political spectrum just by the fact that you are interacting with random people all day and the probability is high that there will be people who have different political ideologies than you. And I know the difference is that he's seeking out this or he's agreeing to be on this platform. But, but if our question is, should we advocate to conservatives? You certainly advocated to them just by the nature of you're talking to strangers. So should the question really be, should you, and, and I don't think that, anyone i don't i don't i don't believe that anyone would argue you should go to a college campus and have a sign that says like hey only liberals come and talk to me about veganism like i don't think that you're ever gonna it would be constructive to only seek out those people in the type <laughs> of campaigning that you're doing but i don't know I, it, it's it's different, but at the same time, it's like you're still should the question should we change the question to should you seek out advocacy opportunities to conservatives? Yes, yeah, and I think that's really more what we're we're getting at here. I guess I just sort of wanted to point out that that certain situations allow you to just sort of be this blank slate of a human being talking to someone on the street, and some of them it's a lot harder to to not let them know that you vehemently disagree with their opinions on certain issues. And then, and once someone knows that you, in my experience, that, that you really disagree with them on some key fundamental issues like abortion, for instance, it's significantly harder to then get them to get on board with anything else that you're advocating. And so, so yeah, so me doing that tour very different than if I was like, I'm going to the Young Republicans convention and trying to make new vegans there. And I think that situation is actually more what we're trying to get at. Like, should you should you go to places that have 
you know, a particular baggage to them, should you actively seek out conservatives and try to to advocate to them as a, as individuals or as a movement? Is it important that we sort of seek out this segment of the population that is? I hate to say like underrepresented because I feel like they're not it's like half the country, but you know, like underrepresented within veganism and like get more of them on board so they can start getting more of their own on board. So like my, my, my gut reaction, my knee jerk reaction to you saying like, Oh, should we go to a young Republicans convention? My knee jerk reaction would be like, no. But then I thought about it and I was like, well, I guess it, it really doesn't make a difference if you're if you're going with the intention of of like you were saying like putting that that <clears throat> that blank like you're just like a blank person and, and you're not coming into the conversations with like politically charged you're just trying to promote veganism then i would say then i guess it doesn't make a difference if you're going to a college campus or a young republicans convention in terms of the advocacy that you were talking about now but now it's like it's almost like there's steps and then and then what Gene Bauer's doing though is he's clearly coming to it as the blank slate. We don't know what his what his politics are, but it's like he's now projecting this like he's it's just like a different scenario for him and is the like the difference is that he's getting publicity for this and and but he's doing this because, you know, it's like if you have the opportunity, you're someone that's saying, oh, I'm going to go talk to uh, 100 people at this Young Republicans thing. Or you could say, or I could talk to 100,000 people on a Fox News thing. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that's it, like if you're trying to calculate it out, probably more than 100,000 people. You know, it's like uh, wh- why would I agree that it's okay to go to the young Republicans thing just because, and talk to fewer people just because I'm not going to get like a, a live kindly article written about me versus going on Fox news and talking to a hundred times as many people, a thousand times as many people, but it's being brought up in news articles. I don't, what's the difference between those things? I don't know, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. (laughs) So, Paul, I guess I just keep kind of falling back on something that you said at the beginning of this discussion, which was that we're, you know, we're the best when we advocate to those that are like us. And and so that sort of has me thinking that, you know, we often spend our time most efficiently when we are talking to those that are similar to us. And so it's like, yeah, it might not be a net negative to advocate to someone who has different ideals than you. And, you know, like you said, you talk to enough people, whether you're, you know, being a paid advocate or you're just like at a grocery store, you're going to talk to people that aren't 100% in alignment with your views. I would wager to say that 90, you know, 8% of the people that I talk to (laughs) every day or interact with every day are not in alignment with my views. Mm -hmm. And, and so, so that's like sort of a reality that we deal with. But then there's the question of like, should we as a movement specifically 
target those with more conservative values? Should we should we be the Gene Bowers that are actively seeking out those interviews rather than the ones that are passively accepting those interviews? And so it had me thinking like what are what are the potential downsides of doing that? Because I think the upsides seem obvious. Like someone's like, we want more vegans in this world, so we have to make more vegans. And it's better if someone's vegan than not, and it doesn't matter what their other political views are. I think that's sort of like one side of the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think when I'm thinking about this conversation, I think about a video that I've brought up several times over the the history of this show, which is the the hidden cost of patriarchy, which was done by um, Jenny Bundock from Apocalypse Now, who we recently talked about uh, for chasing away the the anti-abortion protesters. Mm -hmm. And in that, Jenny is talking about the strategies used by people like PETA that are sort of trying to appeal to this sort of like lowest common denominator boobs told me to go vegan type messaging. And, Mm -hmm. and she's kind of saying that why do we want to try and bring in the people that, that have these views that are harmful to us? Like there's enough people in this world that, that we don't need to seek out these specific people that are going to be like boobs told me to go vegan. So I'm going vegan. And, and that like by actively trying to recruit people that have views. And I, I know we're going to get some emails because I, like I, you know, I generally categorize the way that, that like the conservative movement is portrayed now as being like pretty anti-human rights, pretty anti-women's rights, anti-gay rights. And if that's something that offends you as a conservative that's listening, I say, go talk to your people and get them in line. Cause that's the image you have right now. <laughs> um, you know, like th- this idea of like, well, well, why target people that have these views that are going to be really reprehensible and counter to, accepting the humanity of so many marginalized groups around the the globe, which are the vast majority of people, why actively target people that are going to harm the majority of people on this planet? So I I 100% agree with that. I think the difference between like PETA doing something like that and what Gene Bauer is doing is that I think PETA is like, if you can't beat them, join them. Whereas Gene Bauer is just like, Hey, I'm going to yell at you from afar and I'm not necessarily condoning what you're doing. I'm just telling you something like PETA is engaging in those activities. It's not just like they're saying, oh, I'm going to preach to people who are misogynistic. It's saying I'm going to stoop down to that level in order to get those people. And I think that is not that not that I'm completely discounting any sort of analogy that can be drawn to the Gene Bauer thing. But I think that there is a big difference in that sense, because I will say like what he could have done is he could have like tried to relate conservative ideologies to say, Oh, this is why this audience should be vegan because actually like it really does align with the conservative value. Like he could have promoted conservative values. I think he could have done that. There are, I'm sure there are ways he could have done that easily. And I think that that would have made him more attractive to those listeners. And then, and then I think that's like, if that's what he had done, I think we would have both have given this a flat out. No, because I don't think like what you were bringing up the Pete example. I don't think we should ever, like uh, give up our ethics in a different area, a different social justice area to boost up veganism. 
And I don't think in in the words that he said, I think we're having this conversation about just is him being on there doing this. But in the words that he said, I don't think he 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 tried to become himself relatable to to conservatives by saying, oh, what your opinions are about human rights or about uh, any of these other issues. Those are okay. He didn't. I don't believe he said that. Yeah, no, he he certainly did not bring that in at all, which I guess that also matters. <laughs> there's yeah. there's so many like very it's like this like this little chart and diagrams of like, well this this matters and that matters and how does this affect that and all of those things. Yeah, yeah. Um Paul, when I was when I was preparing for this episode and I was sort of trying to find other examples of vegan Republicans, vegan conservatives, and I Googled all combinations of those words. Not a lot out there, not a lot out there, but there is a few essays from people that like I'm a conservative vegan or I'm a vegan vegetarian Republican, th- things like that. People being like, we exist and making the appeal to those with like minds. And I was reading through just to see how oh, maybe there's some quotes, some counter opinion that we could pull. And I noticed a trend in those articles. And then I started just doing a little like, um, you know, a control F word search to find mm-hmm. a specific word in all of these essays that I was reading. And what was that word, Andy? Animal. Huh. The word animal or animals was conspicuously missing from almost every single piece that I read. You know, I found a thread on Reddit that was talking about like vegan Republicans and conservatives and animals were, were mentioned a few times in there, but only once or twice was it actually in the context of we shouldn't cause harm to animals. And so it was kind of interesting to me because this wasn't, I wasn't seeking this out, but I sort of started to think that like, it felt like a lot of the people that were on the conservative side of the spectrum were engaging in veganism or plant-based diets for for health reasons and not mm-hmm. necessarily for mm-hmm. like sort of uh, personal reasons as opposed to altruistic reasons for animals. Uh, some certainly expressed some concern for the environment, but the the animals themselves were were very much missing from the picture. Interesting. So I thought that was pretty curious. And then I found this this study, and we'll put a link to it. Um, you can find it at Science Direct. But is this study, and the title of it is Conservatism Predicts Lapses from Vegetarian or Vegan Diets to Meat Consumption Through Lower Social Justice Concerns and Social Support. So what this was, was conducted by Gordon Hodson, a psychology professor at Brock University who used a sample of 1,313 current and former vegans and looked at the reasons behind why some people return to eating animals after their initial decision to go vegan. And so this is all just from the abstract. I didn't read the full study, but uh, the abstract said, this is just part of it, in a largely representative U.S. community sample of current and former vegans and vegetarians, those higher in conservatism versus lower exhibited significantly greater odds of being a former than a current vegan, even after controlling for age, education, and gender. This ideology lapsing relation was mediated, i.e. explained, by those higher in conservatism adopting a vegan diet for reasons less centered in justice concerns, animal rights, environment, feeding the poor, uh, and B, feeling socially unsupported in their endeavor. 
These findings demonstrate that ideology and social justice concerns are particularly relevant to understanding resilience and maintaining vegan food choices. Implications for understanding why people eat meat and how to develop intervention strategies are discussed. Interesting. Yes. So, you know, again, some it seems like there's some vegetarians baked into this thing. And we've talked about the issues with people self-reporting their diets. This seems like it's specifically focused on dietary veganism or, or plant-based diets. So I, I take all of that with a grain of salt. But it does kind of bear out things that we have read before, which are essentially that those who go vegan for for the animal angle, for the animal rights, are significantly more likely to stick with it than those that do it for health reasons or environmental reasons. And I, I feel like that makes sense, right? Like if if we think about like the general things that we think about that like the Republican platform has now is not one that's conserving the environment it's currently one that's like opening the you know trophy hunting and and like all of these things that are just sort of counter to altruistic endeavors and you know list you could a whole grocery list of horrible things happening with ice and like people that are trying to cross the border being detained and put in cages like all of these things are sort of baked in with that that platform right now you know whether or not everyone agree with it that is sort of the general perception there and so it makes sense that 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 as as a group those people that identify as more conservative are less concerned with social justice causes and therefore less likely to stay vegan after going vegan. And then the second part, which is something that we've also just like assumed was always a thing as well, which is that if you don't have a a community of people that you feel supported in your, in your like lifestyle by it's, it's harder to maintain that lifestyle. And, and I guess that that's in a vacuum that stinks because you know it's like it stinks that just the, by the fact that there are less there are fewer republican vegans or conservative vegans means that they are more likely to to not maintain veganism and and i wish that you know i i wish that they would maintain their veganism i also wish that they would change their political ideal some of their political ideas but in the vacuum of veganism it it stinks that it's like it's a cycle basically where it's like it's like there are less there are less vegans so that means that you are less likely to stay vegan which means that there will be less vegans which means that you are less likely to stay vegan and so on and so forth yeah yeah it's definitely a vicious cycle there um so paul the reason i bring this up is it seems like if we're looking at this like the advocacy game as a strategy of time and effort it feels like specifically seeking out and targeting conservative leaning people might not be as fruitful as targeting those that are more concerned with social justice views. Andy, Paul. I think I may disagree with you on this Ooh. because think about it like this right now, there are more, there are more, we are assuming there are more progressive vegans, which means that, Let's just say we could put a number on the rate that which someone is likely to stay vegan. And that number, that percentage, the percentage that they're going to stay vegan is higher than the percentage for conservative vegans. But what that means is that if we specifically targeted conservatives and created more conservative veganism, veganism, and created more conservative vegans, not only would that 
create more vegans, but it would also boost the number, the percentage that they are likely to stay vegan. And I think it would boost it more significantly than the current rate at which we are getting progressive people to go vegan. You know, not, but, but because I think most of, I would say most advocacy, it's not necessarily targeted at progressives, but I think it, it will have a tone that will resonate, that is more likely to resonate with progressive thinking individuals. So, so wouldn't we be, we'd be getting double for our buck, right? But not if they, not if they are, uh, the rate of recidivism is significantly higher among conservative vegans. But that's what we, but that's what we'd be changing by, by targeting them and getting more of them. We'd be increasing the percentage that they're likely to stay vegan. Well, it would, it would hopefully tackle the, the community support aspect of it, but it wouldn't tackle the fact that, that people that are doing it for justice reasons, justice for the animals are more likely to stick with it. So like I so I I get your reasoning but I guess I guess like ultimately Paul where I'm coming down on this is I'm not like against conservative folks going vegan obviously we just think everyone sh- that can should go vegan but I just don't know if it's if it's the the folks that have progressive agendas if they should divert attention away from promoting to progressive crowds in order to promote to conservative crowds because that's what that that is the time trade off, right? Like we, like yes, you can, can advocate to both, but most people have limited time, resources, money, whatever, and you're making a choice. I'm going for this crowd rather than this crowd. No, yeah, I I, I think I pretty much agree with you, Andy. I was I was playing devil's advocate with that last point, but Typical I do man. think, <laughs> but because I I think another because we're not in this vacuum, and and, and I do think that you would have to be careful promoting to like we were saying before with PETA. It's like, I think it becomes for me, it becomes a flat out. No, if promoting to the conservative crowd means uh, endorsing their, I, that ideology, I think then that that becomes a flat out. No, for me, but I think you're also, you know, like we've said before, you're you're more likely to resonate with someone who has similar ideologies than you. So that would be another like it's like there's so many factors in this. That's another factor why it would be better to to promote to the more progressive crowd. But yeah, I don't know. I I I also at the same time though, Andy, this is I guess a slightly different a slightly different conversation. I also don't want to just say you know, it's like I'm I don't want to just be like, oh, I'm never going to talk to conservative people because then I, I if that's the ideology that everyone took, then they would most likely stay with the same ideology that they have if, if no one is talking to them and trying to get them to come to the other side. So it's like it's not like I would it's not like I would say I don't want to to talk to them at all. And in fact, it's like, shouldn't I? try to pull them over to the progressive side in terms of, you know, it's like to get them to have better views on human rights issues and, and those sorts of things. So in doing so, what if I slip veganism in there? Is that okay? Then? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's a, it's different between saying like individually, <laughs> I'm not going to 
refuse to talk to someone that doesn't share the same views as I do. Uh, and then there's like strategically as a movement, us saying we need to get more Gene Bowers on more Fox News interviews and we need to <laughs> clone them. We need to send our pay-per-view tours to the Young Republicans Convention and and all of all of you know, there's like there's a, sort of a, a difference there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right, Andy. So I know I yeah, so I guess where I stand is like uh, it, sure. If if conservative folks want to advocate veganism to other conservative folks, have at it, knock yourself out. I, I don't think there's anything bad with that. I don't think that if you find yourself in conversation with someone who is on a different side of the political spectrum than you are, I don't think that you should refuse to talk to them necessarily. But I also don't think that like we should be choosing, like specifically saying we need to seek out the Fox News interview, so to speak, at, at the expense of other crowds. Like I I don't think that that is a wise decision I think, especially because of the study that I just cited. Uh, so what if this Gene Bauer thing, because we don't know how it came about. I, I, I get what you're saying, which is like, we don't need to seek those out. And I, I think I'm on board with that. What about if Fox News is coming and saying, hey, do you want to be on this thing? It's going to take 10 minutes of your life. How, where are we, where are we standing on that? Andy? <laughs> you know, I think it'd be hard for me to personally accept that if I, if for some reason I had enough clout to be asked to do a Fox news interview, I just, uh, for me personally, I don't think I would feel comfortable with it. All right. Comfortable. Com- you would be uncomfortable, uh, literally just being on there or you would be uncomfortable possibly being seen as someone who is condoning those things yes i would be i'm sure it's an uncomfortable position to be on the show (laughs) but i would be uncomfortable as my appearance being uh seen as and i think rightfully so legitimizing a really horrible and hurtful and harmful and oppressive platform what if andy what if they asked you to be on the show not to talk about veganism, but to talk about a, like a human rights issue. And they said, we want someone from the other side to come in and have this debate about this thing. I mean, again, it's just one of those things that like by by being on there, I feel like you're legitimizing their platform. But if you're not on there and no one's on there, then it just becomes this echo chamber of ch- shittiness. And then they're not going to ever change their minds. Yeah, I mean, I guess that is the argument that's like, well, if Gene Bauer doesn't go on there and have that interview, then that that seed never gets planted for anybody. And and there there's no opposing viewpoints ever presented. And that's horrible. So I get that. For me personally, I would not feel comfortable adding any legitimacy to that platform. Like, I, I think there is this difference between if... If someone were to go on there and talk about uh, – if someone were to go on there with a pro-choice ideology and talk about that, it does feel different than someone going on to talk about a pro-vegan thing because I think veganism is not – like vegan – pro or anti-vegan is not something that is like tied in with the Fox News, uh, I guess, ideology, whereas – being being anti-abortion or being anti-immigration and those sorts of things that is more so like that is a part of the like 
that identity. So I think there is a difference, but I don't know. There's something weird. I feel weird about saying, oh, I'm okay with someone going on and defending defending immigration on Fox News. In fact, I would encourage that because, like I said, otherwise they're not going to have anyone that's that's voicing the opposite opinion. Like, I'm like, I would encourage that, but I wouldn't encourage a Gene Bauer on there. It, like, why, why is that different? I don't know, Paul. <laughs> it's it's so hard. <laughs> this is so hard. Yeah, I uh I don't know. I like I guess all I can say is how I would personally respond in that situation. Yeah, yeah. I, and and I do think it it uh, it all it does come back to the idea that Gene Bauer going on there talking about veganism is not like like he goes on there and you're like, oh, he could still be a Fox News person. Like he could be he could be a conservative person. It's it's not. I think it is different than someone going on there and talking about talking about a pro pro choice, pro immigration, like someone going on there. You know, that person going on there with that opinion is not condoning what Fox News is saying. I feel like it's so much more explicit that they're not condoning it versus the Gene Bauer where it's like. There is some question. I'm, I guess maybe that's the difference: is that it's clear that there's a, a non-condoning going on. I guess. I guess, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these things are swirling around in my head, Andy. Oh boy, are we done? <laughs> I think we're done. I don't have anything else to say about this. I feel like we've teased out so many thoughts and scenarios and. And we've come to zero conclusions. <laughs> yeah, I would love to know what the Beardos are thinking right now. Aside from, I can't believe you just wrung out an hour and 10 minute conversation out of that. Yeah. But yeah, send us an email to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. Let us know what you're thinking on this. Would, would you get interviewed on Fox News to promote veganism? Would you get interviewed <laughs> on Fox News to promote some sort of human rights issue? Uh, let us know. Let us know what you're thinking. Yeah, so so send us send us the email, send us the Facebook. I I I expect that by the time you're hearing this, there have already been many angry emails written, typed out, ready, <laughs> fingers hovering over the send button. Just oh, just just wait. I'm just waiting till the end of the episode so I can send in this angry angry email. So this is Paul and Andy from the future again. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that conversation. Now, uh, Andy, what do you got coming up? This weekend, I am heading back to the motherland. I am going to Portland, Oregon, Paul, <laughs> where I plan to feast upon homegrown smoker as much as possible. Is that where you're from, Andy? No. <laughs> it's just where all the food I like is. So that's Portland, Oregon. Yeah, I'll be at the Portland Veg Fest next October 20th and 21st and also on this weekend boston veg fest october 20th and 21st sending my good buddy josh out there and i'm sending him with some bearded vegans buttons so if you come by and say what's up beardo and say josh give me a give me a gd button uh, <laughs> he'll he'll give you one or it might be a sticker i forget what i threw in that merch box uh, but neither paul or i will be there but you can definitely help um you know support me by getting a shirt uh the weekend after that i'll be at the the Texas Veggie <laughs> Fair. Uh, that's October 27th in Dallas, Texas. November 3rd, I'll be at the Tampa Bay Veg Fest in Tampa, Florida. And then November 10th, Atlanta, Georgia, the Atlanta Veg Fest for our final live podcast of the year. It's going to be great.
It's going to be a good time. You know, Andy, I just realized I kept saying this is Paul and Andy from the future. Really, I should have said this is Paul and Andy from the present. <laughs> yeah, I mean, technically, it's us from the past. By the time people are listening to it, yeah. This Oh, this is getting into some... That's always true. It's always us from the past, but... <laughs> this is getting into some weird alternate timeline business nonsense. Yeah, this someone is... better map this out. Yeah, looper. Well, Paul, you know... No matter what timeline we're in, I feel like I can always count on you to say the following seven words. We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off. And then I want to play a clip of the intro of Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. Tucker Tucker Carlson. For their shareholders and market analysis. In theory, analysts. Analysis? Analysts. Damn it. Also, I have no idea what these acronyms stand for. So I'm just going to read them. I tried to look up what VC meant and no, no dice. Okay. And in no accident, the release notes that Unilever's news coincides with Dove officially gaining PEDIA accreditation. (laughs) Accreditation. Accreditization. What is it? Accreditation? (laughs) Accreditation, sure. So this is Paul and Andy from the future again. Uh, We hope you enjoyed that episode, that conversation. So, Paul, we can, you know, currently we can't really quantify what amount of good has been done by Gene Bauer appearing on Fox News. Um, but there, there's like one little sign that I feel like maybe he did plant a good seed because I've been I've been curiously tuning in to Tucker Carlson's show <laughs> since this interview happened, and and now he's changed his ending. He actually signs off by f- saying the following seven words: "We are the Bearded Vegans, signing off."